Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to Nature Reliance Podcast. Today I am sitting down with my good friend Matt Underwood. Matt is, man, he's a unique individual. Matt started out as a history instructor in the public school system. Then he went on to work in the private security industry for a nuclear power plant. Check that out, that's crazy. Now he is the training coordinator for Rochester Personal Defense in Rochester, New York. Quite an eclectic gathering of things that Matt has done. He's also a forever student. He's joined us for a couple classes at Nature Reliance School, and we've just had a blast training with him. And we look forward to you listening in on his training philosophy as it relates to personal self-defense, force on force, precision rifle shooting, and just a whole lot of things as it relates to taking care of your own self-defense through self-reliance. Well, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, man. It's good. To, uh, this is one of the things I love about technology. You're you're in New York State, right? I, I'm in Western New York. You're down in Kentucky, and yeah. uh, we get to meet and talk just like this. So I know. It's pretty, pretty cool. cool. I like it. It is. So, Matt, if you don't care to get things started off, won't you tell everybody about your background and, and uh, where you are now and what you're doing? Sure, sure. So I work for a company called Rochester Personal Defense up here in Western New York. And my personal background, how I got to do that is um, I, I started out as a shooter more than anything. Grew up shooting my whole life. Um, literally, I think I got my first 22 when I was eight or nine years old from my grandfather. Got into rifle shooting. All right, and then, stop, 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 stop right there. Uh, what, what, what is this rifle? What's the 22 that you got? <laughs> Marlin 39A. All so right. a little okay. 22 lever action. Yeah, um, sweet. Yeah, it, 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 it's still one of my favorites. I have it. And, uh, you know, it just was a great way to learn, and it's still a great way to practice. So, yes, grew up shooting that gun with uh, my grandfather and then uh, ended up going doing more uh, high-power rifle shooting as I got older. And then actually got away from it for a while when I went to college and uh, went to school to be a teacher. Taught for about four years, three, four years. What age group were you teaching? I was, I was a secondary social studies, uh, so basically history teacher. Okay. Uh, but I ended up teaching middle school, and uh, middle school was definitely not for me. 
Uh, I did not enjoy it. It was more classroom management than it was uh, teaching. Um, so I started looking for different jobs and I ended up going into private security, actually in the, into nuclear security. And I worked at a nuclear power plant here for almost 14 years on the security force there. So was that something that you, they put you through a school for training for uh, marksmanship and small unit yep. tactics and all that stuff? Yep. So uh, we went through a three month basic academy there right at the plant that they ran that taught all that stuff. Uh, security protocol, marksmanship, uh, tactics, uh, you know, all those things, handcuffing, pepper spray. We did it all. And uh, yeah, a three month academy, then uh, on the job training as well. So after you got on shift, you were assigned to a, a field training officer for several months and learn learn from them. And then, uh, you know, uh, went from there. But then every year there's additional training doing that. So it wasn't just go through the academy and you're done. There was every year uh, training and requalification. And uh, and then I actually ended up on what they call the adversary team, which is we played the bad guys in our drills. So we pretended uh, to break into the plant and the security force would try to stop us. And there I learned a whole lot. Uh, that was a whole different world. So um, that was a lot of fun. And then, unfortunately, I got hurt on the job and ended up uh, uh, having to leave uh, that job. And I had been working as a trainer part-time for years. I was an NRA trainer, and um, I had worked for Dave, who owns Rochester Personal Defense, as a you know part-time. I taught four or five classes a year um, for him. He asked me to come and work for him full-time after I left uh, the power plant. So, and here I am doing that. So, and loving it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting here listening to you thinking about, well, I'm listening to you for one, cause that's interesting. I got a couple of things that, that fall out of that uh, discussion, but one is that you are one of several dudes that I know that were history instructors that became like shooting instructors. What's really? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I know a few guys like that. Uh, there's something about history that makes people drawn to firearms. <laughs> I mean, in I all think, seriousness, I I believe, yeah, I think there is. I think it's something about history, and a lot of us were, you know, always into military history and things like that. And uh, it, it kind of goes hand in hand for sure. So, uh, and, and then to piggyback on what you were talking about, I'm guessing that securing a nuclear facility is a no joke situation. You don't want that to fall in the wrong hands. You don't want that to anybody to be able to infiltrate that sort of organization or that facility. Wow. That's pretty serious business, man. I'm sitting here thinking about it. it. It is. It's very serious. It's no jokes for sure. And, you know, a lot of people think of security, they think of mall, the mall cop, right? And that was as far from that as you could be. There was a lot to it. People don't realize, and, you know, and in some ways I'm glad they don't realize what really goes into that job and, and the things that we were taught and exposed to. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting job for sure that has some very serious consequences. So so before going into what you do with Rochester, just tell us about Rochester Personal Defense in general. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Rochester Personal Defense, as the name implies, is centered uh, in Rochester, New York, although we are starting to have more of a, a nationwide reach. Um, we are traveling more and more to teach classes outside of our, our area. But um, it's a company founded to train focused on civilians about 20 years ago by Dave Jenkins. He's the owner. It was a part time job for him initially. And then he's actually been doing this for full time for almost 14 years. 
And like I said, I, I worked for him for about 12 now, um, 12 or 14 years, actually. And um, we do all sorts of firearms training from handgun to rifle to shotgun. Um, we also do unarmed self-defense classes from open hand all the way to taser now, uh, pepper spray. We do medical training. We, uh, you know, really cover the whole gamut of personal protection. Uh, it's not just firearms. So. So is that something where you all have a lot of like full-time employees doing the instruction? Do you pull in instructors to do various parts of what happens there? I'm laughing because I wish I had a couple more full-timers right now. No, actually, it's Dave and I full-time um, doing this. And then I have about 20 contract instructors that I bring in. And some of them will teach a couple classes a year. And I have uh, I have a number that teach, you know, almost every week or at least once a month. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting to manage, though, because we have all these different people and different schedules that we try to pull in and make work together. And it, it does. It does work. But it, there's a lot going on. And that's you. Right. I mean, that's your role yeah. there is organizing and, and herding all those cats together. huh? <laughs> that's right. I, my title is training manager. So, yes, that falls on, on me mostly. Yep. Absolutely. Cat herder. Um, cat herder. Cat herder. Is for sure. You got it. Yeah. You got it. All right. So I want to cover a lot of what you do, uh, sure. both on the training side and the instructional side. Uh, yep. But I, what I would really like to do, too, because we might have people that, you know, maybe have their first firearm and are just wanting to get started. And then we'll go into some more advanced topics as well. So, sure. OK, so uh, I'm I'm interested in personal self-defense. I buy my first firearm and I've got it. I've got my concealed carry permit or some variation of it. Right. And now I want to start going to the range and doing what I need to do. Tell me how range safety works, etiquette, and, you know, we'll get into gear and, and stuff of that nature too. But Yeah, so, so the first thing I encourage new gun owners is really to get training. You don't know what you don't know. And that, you know, we get that call every day. Hey, I just bought my first gun and, you know, what should I do? And it's always like, hey, you should get some training. Take a basic handgun class or basic rifle, whatever you have, whatever you're interested in take that class, right? That's that's going to give you the fundamentals, the knowledge of how your firearm works, the knowledge of the safety rules and how to follow the safety rules. I know people that can tell you safety rules, but they don't understand how you follow those safety rules. So that that's the first thing is understand um, how to be safe, how to your gun works and go from there. Then the next thing, if you're going to the range on your own, you know, Biggest question I get is, what do I need to go to the range or what range do I go to? You know, increasingly today, people don't have their uncle's farm to go shoot at. They're going to go to some sort of public or, um, you know, private type of range where they're going to have to interact with other people that are also shooting. So, you know, like around here, a lot of it is clubs. You have to join a club, not too expensive, and you join for the year and they make you go through a safety class and, you know, be very open, be open to that. You know, I see a lot of people have the attitude of I've been shooting my whole life. I don't I don't need to go to a safety class. Yeah, you should. And the range you're going to go to, no matter what it is, will probably have their own specific rules on how they do things. And you're going to need to know those and follow those. But, you know, in in general, um, you want to make sure you have eye and ear protection. You want to have the right kind of ammo. Again, know how your firearm works and know the general safety rules and the safety rules for the range that that you're going to. Other than that, you don't need a whole lot more to get into starting to practice to shoot. And the big thing I've taught people is, look, at you can go and shoot 100 rounds and not learn anything and not improve. 
what you need to do is really work with someone and have them set up the fundamentals and then go and practice those fundamentals, but then go back for additional training because things break down and you don't even notice that. And someone else will come up and say, hey, look, fix this, do that. And, you know, and you'll go, oh, hey, I didn't even know I was doing that. And that happens a lot. So, you know, it's not just the initial training. It's then, hey, let's follow up and do some additional training down the road. Uh, Shooting is a perishable skill. I'm a big fan, man, just so you know where I come from of saying something along these lines. If you buy a $500 firearm, I'm not saying they're $500. I'm just saying right. you buy a $500 firearm, the bare minimum to get started is $500 worth of training. You've got to get that. And I, and I think people think I'm trying to sell friends training, but I just think, you know, one of the things that's missing in today's world of where we have more firearms is back in the day where, you know, firearms is such a big part of our country it was required that you had to have basic fundamental understanding of firearms, manipulation, safety, storage, and all the things go along with it. And, and uh, I think we, more people need to visit folks like you all. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the fire maple backpacking and camping stove system. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. Coming right where you're, you're at right there is uh, absolutely true is what I see. Um, a large majority of our calls today are from people who have never fired a gun before. What, what age group is that, Matt? It is all over the board. I'll tell you, I have seen people, young people, who increasingly don't have any exposure to firearms and want to get involved in some sort of shooting. But we have a number of clients who are elderly in their 60s and 70s who are buying their first firearm um, and want to go shoot. And it's very interesting. But I agree totally with what you're saying, that today there is a large number of people who didn't grow up with guns, had no exposure to it, and really don't even know where to start, don't know base one. Yeah, it, and that's we deal with that a lot. I also have the opposite problem where I have the guy who calls me and says, "Well, you know, why do I need to take a fundamental class? I've been shooting for forty years." And generally, that guy often is my worst shooter at the end of a class because they already have that mental block up that they don't need to learn anything. They already know it. Where a new shooter who's a blank slate is usually pretty open to what you're you're telling them. I had a guy email me this morning, man. It wants to come to knife only survival class <laughs> oh, never boy. been never Ooh. been to a class anywhere never done oh. any time out in the woods on, in a survival scenario but he thinks that <laughs> sounds cool no dude no, no. It don't it don't work no. that way man no it way. does not work that no, way absolutely not that's, that's uh, the guy and you're going to get him too that's the guy that's going to be crying down at the end absolutely absolutely that is always the one you got it he's that he's that guy as we would say he's that guy all right taking it up another step into gear and things that we're going to be utilizing on the range 
I, I see things like what's an IDPA target and there's other acronyms and, and let, let's talk about targets in general. I mean, we can go to the Walmart and get the, the, um, sh- what do they call them? Shoot and see targets and Shoot and see targets. Yeah. 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 I mean, t- tell us about targets. I mean, and I know it seems like a simple topic for probably you, but, but for our yeah. general listener that might be new, let's talk about targets. Yeah. So, so there's such a wide variety of targets and generally like what you're talking about, when you go to Walmart, you're, you're looking at bullseye targets is basically what they have of some, some variety. It's some sort of circle within a circle, within a circle. And they're made for what, you know, more precision shooting. Um, I do actually sometimes like to use the shoot and see targets, especially if I'm doing um, maybe a, a rifle class that is with someone who's pretty new. Um, and we're trying to see where they're hitting at, you know, I might be only at 25 yards, but we're trying to see where their impacts are so we can work on their fundamentals. So if people don't know shoot and sees, you actually, when you shoot them, they have a splash of usually orange or yellow that you can see where the bullet hits. So those are fun and those are great, but they're pretty limited as to what you can do with them. You know, you're basically just shooting little tiny groups or that's what you're trying to do on those targets, the best groups you can. We end up using a wide variety of targets from paper all the way to uh, ballistic steel targets um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, paper targets, the ones we really like to use, there's a, a Des Moines target. You can look that up. But it's, there's all kinds of varieties of that specific type of target. And that target allows us to do multiple things on basically one piece of paper. So you can use that target for um, speed work where you're working on, you know, like draw to first shot or, or multiple shots. You can use it for precision work. I can use it for diagnostics, which means I'm trying to figure out why you're not shooting where you need to be shooting. I can use it for multiple target engagement on one single piece of paper. And, you know, if someone understands how to use these targets and looks at them and says, oh, why, why does this target have numbers and shapes as well as like a bowling pin silhouette on it well each of those things allows me to do something else with that target um you know i can do what they call cognitive drills even which um cognitive you know thinking drills i wanted to get into I'm, that tell me tell tell everybody because yeah. i've done a lot of that that's some of the hardest thing i've done as a, a fairly new yeah. guy to shooting because i've taken several classes but uh, I remember the first time I ever did that where they were screaming out red one and you pop, you come up and right. that's difficult. <laughs> tell, so people why, about- tell people what that involves and why you do that, because I think that's fantastic. So well, let's let's get into what it involves. I mean, we're taking a target that's going to have some sort of different things that we're going to look for. And we're, we're going to have to shoot at those things um, on some sort of command. And those commands might vary. So basically, you know, like you just said, red one, um, you'd look for a red whatever with a one in it and shoot it. Or it could be multiple. It could be the 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 diamond that's green with a four. Right. Or I might make you do math, you know, seven and three. And you got to find the 10 and shoot it on the target. What, what we're trying to do is simulate the fact that under stress, if you have to use that firearm under stress, you still have to be able to think. Um, and it breaks that that tunnel vision, breaks that concentration on one single thing and we have to expand and open up and look and see what's really going on and understand that the situation may change or it may not be exactly what we thought it was upon our first initial look so again we're getting people to think and and the more you do that on the range in real life the theory is the easier it will be right because if you've never done something like that 
you're not going to get better under stress in real life. You usually get worse and you, it's usually a lot worse. So um, yeah, that's, that's where those cognitive drills come in. What about uh, steel targets? The ding, yep. ding, 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 ding. I mean, so, so first off, if you ever watched any videos of people shooting steel, they're fun, right? And that, that is an aspect of shooting. Shooting, I think, should be fun. If it's not fun, well, why are you doing it? You know, so we can have fun doing what we're doing. We can be serious and have fun. So steel adds an element of fun to it, but steel also allows us to do a couple things. Um, it's instant feedback. Number one, you know, you hit that target. If you're far away at paper, uh, there may be some question, right? You might have to go downrange and look at it. I can sit back at the 100 yard line with a rifle and hit steel and bam, you hear that ting, ting, you know you hit. So that's a lot of a lot of fun. The other thing it allows us to introduce is um, movement. So some of the steel targets will actually move or you'll hit one and it will create another target that moves and you can um, in induce movement by shooting at steel. And one of the things I use steel for a lot is when in my shotgun classes. Because if you've ever shot uh, cardboard or paper targets with shotguns, um, they don't last very long. They get absolutely destroyed. So, you know, in a class where we're shooting two to 300 rounds of shotgun, I would go through a truckload of cardboard. So we, we, use, steel, we use steel for that. But you, you got to understand, too, with steel, there's certain precautions you got to take. And um, Such as you know, what? I mean, what kind of things you need to consider here? The the biggest thing uh, is standoff distance. So every steel, depending on what type of gun you're using, is going to have a standoff distance, a safe distance that you can uh, shoot. And then inside of that, you should not be shooting at that steel. The other thing is not all steel is the same. Some steel will be rated for pistols and uh, usually shotguns um, without without slugs. And then uh, some steel will be rated all the way up to rifle. And you obviously don't want to shoot pistol steel with a rifle. You'll you'll put holes in your steel, and it won't last very long. So, and and that actually can be. So, if we're purchasing that, um, we can see that on the purchase material. But if we go to yeah. a range, is there a way of telling that sort of thing, or is that something we just get help from the range folks? That, that is a very good question, and and my rule on that is that that usually or should be, I say, covered in the safety brief that you get when you become a member, or or if you go to a range. Um, they may have it posted, like they have a list of rules and it'll be posted. Certain steel is for what? If you don't know, my default is don't shoot it with a rifle because it may not be rifle rated. So if you're not sure, don't shoot it. That That's the big thing. Um, because there, there is really no way to look at that steel and necessarily know what it is rated for. So yeah, that's the thing. Yep. But steel's fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't done it a lot, but it's... uh. Well, it, I guess that brings me to another question too, Matt. Is there is there any consideration or or when we get to the point where we're maybe getting good at self defense self defense shooting, that that quick feedback is a problem? Because I've I've heard of that too, where you're getting that feedback rather than you're just shooting into something that's got <laughs> a flannel shirt on, for example, and you don't get that immediate feedback. What, yeah, what are your so thoughts on that? Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with that. Um, it, it it has a benefit of, hey, I know I hit. The problem is in real life, that target may not react that way. You may not know if you hit, right? So in our self-defense shooting, if, if we're using the firearm to defend ourselves, the idea is we we are going to shoot until the threat stops and we see it stop. If we don't see it stop, we're going to keep shooting. 
the problem with steel is you get that hit and you're like, oh, I hit. And then you stop shooting. Um, and I see that a lot. Or the target drops. Like a lot of steel targets will drop. And, oh, hey, I got one hit and I'm done. And that may not be uh, realistic at all. So you have to be cognizant of that in your training of why you're using what you're using. Um, you know, and, and not it doesn't always translate into real life, I think, is the, the big thing with that. So, yeah, that's a good question. Very good. Um, okay, so moving on a little bit, you talk mm -hmm. about, I, I was reading in your bio that you all do, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, you do force on force and and hand-to-hand mm -hmm. -hand type stuff as well. Uh, tell everybody, number one, the kind of stuff that you all do, and probably more importantly, why that's important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's start with force on force and talk about that. Why, why is force on force important? Force on force actually pitch you against another reactive opponent who's also thinking where a target never does that. A target always just you shoot at it and either you hit it or you don't. Even if it's moving, it's still only you hit it or you don't. In the real world, your opponent's going to be moving. He may be shooting back. He may be running at you, may not stop when you shoot at him. So the force on force allows that to become part of the training and you become used to dealing with someone who's reacting to what you're doing and may not react in the way you had pre-planned it out. So I think that's really important. Uh, the first time I did force on force, it was very eye-opening. And in my, in my former job, um, you know, we did a lot of force on force training. Every year we did multiple, multiple drills with force on force. And then we brought that um, into the company I work for now. And with our force on force training, you know, we have some of our instructors as our role players that come in and, and act out different scenarios and react to how the student, you know, wants to solve that problem. And uh, it's usually very, very eye-opening for people. Now, when you're doing that, are you all using Sims or Airsoft or is it all, you know, none of that? I mean, how do you all go about doing that? <laughs> it, it's kind of all of that. So uh, depending on where we're at, what we can do, um, you know, whether it's in our office or whether it's at a facility we rented or it's out on the range, um, we will use um, dummy guns. So, you know, nothing, no projectiles. We've used um, airsoft and we've used sims. And they all they all kind of have you know, a place. I'm sitting here thinking, Matt, apologize. Yep. I shouldn't ask the question the way I did. Would you That's care right. to tell everybody what we mean by sims and airsoft? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so airsoft is probably the most familiar to people it's the you know air guns that shoot the little plastic bbs you know and those are useful because you're actually getting a projectile coming back at you so those are fun but uh, sims are actually real guns that are modified to shoot a paint projectile they they cannot load a, a live round but they they load what looks almost like a, a, a round but it is a paint round and it leaves a paint mark on whatever it hits yeah. So, I mean, the thing about Sims is uh, you have to wear some protection and, you know, a helmet and all that fun stuff. Um, the last time we did it, I took a round right in my ring finger. Oh, man, dude. <laughs> that stung for like two weeks. I'm sure. Yeah. It was right at the base of the knuckle and the ring finger. And yeah. Um, yeah. So they they definitely give you good feedback. And that's the thing, though, the, the, the fact that they they do hurt a little bit and you know you got hit makes you react. And uh, even, even more than Airsoft, you know, Airsoft, yeah, I know I got hit. but OK, no big deal. You get hit with a sim, you're like, man, I got shot. And uh, 
you, you start being like, oh, I don't want to get shot again and, and reacting like someone actually might if they were being shot at. So it's a, a very good training tool in that respect. As long as it's done following the protocols and the safety rules, it can be done very safely and it, and has a really good level of new understanding for the student. And Airsoft's good too, just because it, it does give you something coming back at you. Um, again, you know, following safety rules and protocols there. But if you don't have access to that, I tell you what, just doing dummy guns um, and and seeing, man, that, that where did that gun come from? Like, you know, I've seen students do like, well, all of a sudden he had a gun in his hand. Like, where was that? I'm like, yeah, that that's how it might happen. So yeah, um, so that's our force on force stuff, and we do we do that both, um, you know, kind of the classic you think like one on one, and we've done that as a, as a vehicle class too, um, in, in conjunction with another company that has come in and helped us. We do it with a vehicle class. So all working around parts. Something that you all typically separate out and go, okay, now we got force on forks class today, or do you build a little bit of that into to every class you teach or how, how do you do that? It's kind of a separate class because of safety protocols and things. And we, we also want the students to have a certain level of proficiency um, before they start doing that, that type of stuff. It's very easy for a newer student to become very overwhelmed if you put them into that type of situation. And then you're not learning anything. So to have a good, number one, shooting fundamentals, but then a good, you know, we get into our concealed carry classes and those start teaching, you know, a little more tactics. We get into movement. We get into off position shooting. Those are the kinds of things you need to have to really be successful in a force on force and learn from it. Now, I could be wrong, but it seems like for most people, self-defense is focused heavily upon sidearms, pistols and stuff of that nature. And you all, you've mentioned, and you seem to also appreciate and like precision rifle shooting. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about pre precision rifle shooting and what that means and, and, and what you all do in a class like that. Yeah. So, so getting, getting away from the, the self-defense only world, uh, precision rifle shooting really boils down to, we're looking to shoot at longer ranges um, and, and shoot the smallest groups we can. And this really translates to your your hunters um, and your your competition shooters too, who are looking to engage targets at, at farther distances with rifles and uh, do that that uh, in a very consistent manner. And that that's the key. Everything with precision rifle is going to be about consistency and do, doing things the same way. And that that's as far as cleaning your gun, um, setting your gun up. Everything has to be the same, and and you want to bring that to the range each and every time the same way and shoot the same way as, as close as you can every single shot. So yeah, yeah, precision is, is a whole different mindset and, and ball game. It, it's usually a different group of shooters too that I have that do stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. When you say different, what do you mean they're different? <laughs> um, they're very analytical guys usually, and they're very much into the math and very much into all the gear, but but in a different way. They're not the gear heads. They're like, hey, I'm looking for the best thing that I can put on this gun to make this gun shoot the smallest group. But very analytical. That's a very, very analytical group and very specialized, extremely specialized group. So you mentioned that even how you clean a gun is going to be important on that type of shooting. And we hear this term, if we're new, some of us have heard this term called like a cold bore shot. What, what's a cold bore shot and why is that an important consideration here? Yeah. So cold bore, people would think that mean your gun is cold, which isn't necessarily true. It's 
it's that the fact that you just literally clean your gun and and you would clean it the same way like literally with the same stuff with the same number of patches with the same everything each time and then your first shot after that is your cold bore shot and and that's going to if you do everything right we'll shoot into the same spot and you should know where that's going to shoot then after that each shot may shoot into a slightly different place and certainly after the gun warms up um or you, you've got it dirty which is a whole nother um you've put lead in the barrel and copper in the barrel it may change where it shoots the point of impact may change so your your eighth shot may shoot into a different group than your first three right and somebody that does that a lot is going to know okay i'm on i'm on shot number five or six so i'm probably going to be you know high left or something or correct just because they, they, know, their, they know their gun that well and they would dial that in right and they would keep a log of every single round they fired so you have a log listing your first round that you fired out of that gun all the way up to if you're on round you know 1300 um and you know where every one of those shots hit so you know what it does yeah yep so uh, i want to get into a little bit different topic as it relates to what you do because i know you know as you've mentioned and and we've had private conversations on this topic too but but you're a teacher of people too. So I'd like to cover some fundamentals in how to teach others Absolutely. Um, specifically for somebody like you, that's got a, and, and I really appreciate the fact that you've got a background in, in education. So mm -hmm. if you could lay out two or three different things, even if it's one primary importance uh, principle, if you will, that makes or helps you become a successful teacher, not necessarily a shooter, but a teacher of other people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is like one of my favorite topics. Uh, so number one, as a teacher, you have to be a student. I don't care whether you've been doing this for 20 years or two years. Um, you should always be learning and be willing to develop yourself as a teacher by being a student. Go to training and teach, learn from others. And I've told people I've gone to classes and I've learned what not to do. Right. So I, I didn't you know, go, oh, I want to bring this home. I went, man, I do not want to do things that way. So that's be a lifelong student as a teacher. The second biggest thing I, I, I think as a teacher is you should be somewhat humble. Um, you cannot talk down to your students. They will pick up on that immediately and they generally will tune you out. And that is you are done then nothing you're going to say is going to get through. So you have to be able to talk to your students and, and relate to them and be humble in front of them. Uh, if you think you're the greatest person, the greatest teacher, the greatest shooter in the world, you're not going to go very far with most of your students. You may, you may get a very good small YouTube following um, of very dedicated people, but as far as teaching and getting through to people, you won't, you won't get that. So th those are two things I think are very important. But then I think an understanding as a teacher of the fact that not all your students learn the same way, that you're going to have multiple learning styles, that you're going to have people that will learn just by listening to you in the classroom, but you're going to have a large number of people that are going to really need to see you do what that you want them to do. Um, yeah, you need to demo and show what you're doing. And then you need to repeat it all and do it again, because a lot of people will see it once or hear it once and they may have an idea, but they don't really get it. And, and then they need it reinforced. And then even after they've done it and they got it right, you need to make sure you, they repeat it and keep doing it. So you got to read your student. 
and understand how they're going to learn and recognize maybe when someone isn't learning. And, and this I, I run into a lot where I will have a student that for whatever reason, the way I'm explaining it or doing it, they just don't get it. And I, I asked one of my other instructors, hey, can you work with this person? And boom, they pick it up. And it's just a different way of talking, a, a, a little different verbiage, whatever it is, they may pick it up from somebody else and they don't get it from, from you. So be, be willing to adapt like that. And then adapt to the, to the student, but also to the environment. You have to know where, where you're working. You know, like I have a class tomorrow, it's going to be 22 degrees here. It's going to be cold. It's not going to be the same class that I would have, or at least not run the same way that I would in July. You have to be willing and able to go with that and work around any of the things that are happening, you know? So like tomorrow we'll go out and shoot for a little while. Um, then we'll come back in and warm up and relax and let everybody kind of chill out because being in the cold shooting is, is not fun. And it can be very stressful uh, for especially new shooters that like I have tomorrow. So be adaptive. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm listening to you, Matt, <clears throat> and I probably should have asked this early on, but for those of you know, I'm, I'm in Kentucky. Everybody knows that. And for the listeners that are down South, we hear New York and think, man, they hate guns up there. <laughs> so what, I mean, in all seriousness, what's this, I guess the socio environmental impact on you guys up there. The, the political climate does make it more difficult for us, for sure. For one thing, like carbine rifle type classes, I don't do a lot of those because of the restrictions and things. And people are just nervous about, you know, even if a rifle is legal, they're nervous about buying it and so forth and so on. The opposite side of that is I've done a lot of shotgun classes because people will go buy a shotgun because the restrictions are, are at least on the surface, don't seem to be as, as restrictive. So, you know, it, it, that's an interesting thing. Um, even 10 years ago, I was teaching a lot more rifle than we are now um, before some of the laws changed here. But, uh, you know, again, like we have a very, very strict permitting process, which, you know, we get a lot of people who call and say, hey, I want to shoot a pistol. And my first question is, well, do you have a pistol permit? Because in, in New York, you can't even touch a handgun without a permit. It's not just a carry permit. It's a it's an ownership permit. So you have to have to, I can't even take you to the range and have you shoot without having a permit, which, you know, depending on where you are, the county I live in is actually pretty good but it still takes three to five months to get your permit in my county. Some places it's over a year. So, you know, you might. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it makes it it tough and you got to be aware of that. What I'm seeing now too, is we're we're getting a lot more people though, who are your non-traditional gun owners coming in, buying firearms. They uh, are starting to see how restrictive things are. And it's amazing when I hear things like, Man, I I didn't know it was this hard to get a pistol, or I even even a long gun. I didn't, I didn't know you had to go through all that. Yeah, well, yeah, you do. And uh, I think there's a a little more awakening here on a large part, you know, to to the laws that there are and uh, how restrictive it is. So uh, I'm I know how you all do things because I've talked to you about it in the past. But are there different places up there where people skirt the law and and now nah, you don't need a permit. Come on into our range and you all have to compete against that sort of thing, too. I mean, there's always the I can go shoot on my uncle's farm mentality. And we know that happens, you know, that. But increasingly, the ranges, if you, I mean, I don't know a range where if you didn't have a permit, you're shooting a pistol. It's just not going to happen. 
it's, it's just, you know, they're, they're aware and, you know, they don't, they don't want to risk their licenses and get closed down. So, yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's tough for that. And, and I think increasingly that's why we see more students come into classes. People see that they can't just go to a range and shoot. Yeah. It's not going to happen. And a lot of the ranges now, they want people to have some sort of background before they, they let them in to shoot. So they want them to take some sort of training. So the permitting process up there, do they have to go through a safety check to get that or a safety lesson of some sort? So it, it varies up here by county um, on what the requirements are. Every single county does their process differently. The state state has a general set of rules that the counties have to follow, but then the counties are allowed to do other things within that set of rules. So in my county, there's no mandatory safety class or anything, but our permits are actually signed by judges. And there's several of the judges that really want you to have a safety class. So you're better off taking one and submitting it with your application or or the judge may call you and say, hey, I, I'm willing to sign your application only if you go to a class. So and, and that's actually one thing we do is we have a non-shooting firearm safety class. It's actually a legalities and safety class. So we talk about the laws around having your pistol uh, around self-defense in New York State. We talk about um, how to get that uh, permit. We even talk about how to fill out the paperwork and then you can submit our letter to the judge and, and they will usually issue your permit. Man, I love that you all offer that. Yeah, we, we've been doing that for a long time because we would get so many calls of people like, well, I, I don't even understand the process. What do I do? And we we end up telling them on the phone, we're like, we need to have a class for this. And, and we developed it. Yeah. As far as everything that you do, whether it's instructing or getting herding these cats and these guys and gals to teach class and and everything you do, what what would you say is some of the most difficult part of your work? I, I think I think you touched on it with the herding cats. You know, scheduling. I think you you know this right I, from your job and what you do. I just spent the last like three weeks trying to work on our April schedule, and and there, there's so many moving parts with us. Uh, we use ranges that belong mostly to gun clubs and we have to work around their schedule. So if they have competitions or the day they have their safety class, um, we, we can't use their range and each club, it's a different day of the month and um, certain clubs I can only shoot on on Saturday. And it, it's all those things play in. And then, and then I have to get the instructors and um, you know, instructors are going to increase in number depending on how many students I have. So as I add more students, I have to pull in more instructors. And uh, yeah, so that it, it gets kind of crazy doing the scheduling and uh, and pulling everything together and trying to make it all work. And uh, yeah, I'd say that's probably the, the, mo- the most frustrating, you know, watching someone on the range shoot and, and enjoy themselves and learn something is, is fun. Um, sitting behind the computer trying to work on the schedule is, is not so much fun. Well, that was my next question. Uh, you, you may have hit it upon it already. What's the funnest part of what you do? Yeah, just just watching, especially my new students um, and their growth. That's the thing. Or or someone who maybe has been shooting for a while, but they come to a class and they they really kind of move up to the next level. And you know, watching them grow and and become a better a better shooter, or even just feel better about themselves, uh, that's the best part of the job. Absolutely, hands down. All right. So uh, last question for you. I wanted to talk about basically. Uh, not necessarily for the purpose of how me and you met, but you came to a class at Nature Reliance School, which tells me that you are a forever student. 
tell us about your mindset on that and, and training outside of your own organization. And because, uh, I think that's critical that people know getting a broad range of skills is important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, like lifeline students. So I think I'm always looking for opportunities to do different training and Dave actually requires us, uh, the owner of the company to go all the instructors to do so much training per year outside and inside the company. We do continue education for our instructors inside. And then we do, um, we encourage them to go and do training outside of the company as well. And, you know, we, we've gone to places like the Sig Sawyer Academy up in New Hampshire, which is phenomenal or uh, Academy, former Blackwater down in uh, Virginia and, and uh, you know, all, all over the place to train. So yeah, I, I definitely believe you should be always learning for sure. So I came to Nature Alliance because me personally, I don't want to just pigeonhole myself into firearms. Um, I want to have a broader base than that. And I've always been interested in both survival and preparedness. And I think I found you on YouTube originally. And I, I liked your philosophy. I liked the way you talked. And I, I liked some of the stuff you said. And it kind of intrigued me. And I was looking at your classes. And then all of a sudden, you had this SEER class uh, pop up. Which, Bam, way to get started, man. <laughs> jumping into the flying pan. No right? joke. Uh, <laughs> Welcome yeah, to Nature so, Line School. Now you're going to be cold and wet. <laughs> that's right. Now you're going to be cold and wet and, uh, and, oh. and and other things that may make you very uncomfortable. <laughs> so oh, um, so I decided, yeah, let, let's do that. Talk about, yeah, being outside your comfort zone and uh, pushing yourself. That, that certainly was it. Um, and yeah, so I came down to Sear last year and, uh, it was one of the best classes I've ever taken of any type and really enjoyed it so much that I'm coming back again here in a, in a couple of months, <laughs> uh, for Sear. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I think that's important to be learning always. Um, you can never have enough knowledge. And again, sometimes I've learned what not to do and, I've learned certainly what to do or, you know, different philosophies. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things I think I told you when I came down is I, I was watching how you teach and certainly, you know, that's one of the things I'm not just there to learn the material, but I'm, I'm looking at how do other instructors teach? How do they bring their class together and, and get their information across? And I try to bring that back with me when I come back home. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I want to get you on. Cause I, cause I could tell you're a, a forever student, which is, you know, the mindset of nature line school for sure, which I, I just think everybody should be that way. So I appreciate you bringing that up because sometimes I can feel like a broken record talking about that stuff. I just think people need to cross train as much as they can afford time and money and to do so. It absolutely. It's a better person in my opinion. Well, a more well-rounded person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Matt, what have we missed here, man? I think that covered well, everything no, that I you. wanted to make sure we, yeah, covered. we covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it good, good stuff, man. So uh, everybody listening in, uh, just look in the description below. Matt mentioned uh, Des Moines Target. I'm going to have a link for that in the description. Obviously, I'm going to have a link for Rochester uh, Personal Defense. And, and specifically, I'm going to have a link to Matt's bio in the description below. So you can link, check those out. And please, if anywhere in the country that you want to travel to Rochester and get some training, go check these guys out because Matt's a good dude. And we, we hope you go check them out and get some training in. Craig, on that note, actually, too, if, if you want us to come to you, we will do that. So so uh, you don't have to come to us necessarily. Contact us. And if you have a facility, we'll come to you. Nice. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot. You uh, you yeah, come to Kentucky? Are Aren't you come to Kentucky sometime? Uh, I believe. I don't Was know that if last year? 
That was last year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know, we're still working on this year. We may be down there. Okay. Um, I know we have Ohio on the calendar this year for okay. sure. Well, everybody check them out, look on their calendar, find a place that, uh, you can get into and go check these guys out. They're good dudes. So appreciate you, Matt. Great. Appreciate you having me on Craig. Thank you. Yeah, man. So everybody check out Rochester personal defense. This is Craig Cottle, director of nature line school. Come on, join in. Let's learn together. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Blinds podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Blinds School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.